Uh, let's turn to Acts 14 this morning. And as we do so, I have to share with you the lovely Vanna is bringing me my, my prop. Um, we're going to have just a great time looking at this passage this morning. Uh, a lot of things are different <coughs> in this zone right here. Lenise is already sick, so she's safe. But this one lives with me. Um, that one's a distant relative. No, not distant. Just distant, and then she's in Brentwood. Um, but I'm just going <coughs> to warn you. There's going to be a lot of coughing today. Um, that's why I'm on this thing. Because um, I can hold it away while I'm coughing. Um, I might preach this way. Can you hear me now? But if I do that, I fog my glasses and then I can't read the scripture. So we'll get through this this morning in the Lord's strength. Amen? Then let's ask the Lord to guide us and give us insight and wisdom and inspiration. Inspiration. You know, it's understanding in the fear and the <coughs> knowledge of the Lord is so desperately important. But it's the inspiration that draws us to God. And so, one, one of the aspects of preaching is to inspire. As a matter of fact, I personally believe that's the difference between preaching per se and teaching. There will be some teaching in this this morning, but the lion's share of what I'm doing is preaching because I desire to inspire you to search out <coughs> the meaning and the, the, uh, the essence of what we're looking at. These are not just principles that are encapsulated on paper. The Word of God is a living, organic, double-edged sword. It divides, divides bone from marrow. And, and that is a pretty harsh understanding, but the point is, is that it is so effective in our lives. It's not meant to just be a novel. How many of you had Bible as a lit in the 80s? Um, yeah, yeah, or the 70s. Y you'll not find it, I think, in the 90s. Um, you'll definitely not. I don't think. Any of your kids taking Bible as a lit in a public school? Yeah. 1972. Those were the good years, Paula. Speaking of the good years. This morning we're talking about this idea of being strong and courageous, and it just works really well that <coughs> as we pick up in Acts 14, we pick up with Paul and, and Barnabas' story of their mission. And so let me read. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews 
with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. They learned of it and fled to Lystra in Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So we're with our, uh, our, with our, <coughs> our magic traveling team. Now they've just left Antioch. <clears throat> and they've left Antioch on the, kind of the same terms that they're going to leave Iconium. And I want you to think this morning, the title of the sermon is Win Some, Lose Some. Can you identify with that? Is that how your week went? I was trying to share with my children times of my life. You know, those poignant pauses that we want our children to know about. I only share my success stories. They don't need to know my failures. No, there aren't any successes. There are only failures. Uh, Let me share with you now my most embarrassing moment. Now I have your attention, right? Uh, My grandmother passed, I believe, in 88. 88 or 89? 89. And I'd never had a death in the family. And I was kind of estranged from my family. and I really didn't know how to grasp all this. I, I was a little freaked out by it. I was in my early 20s, and, you know, when a moth loses its wings, when you're 20, you get freaked out. So um, it's that, just that time of life. And so I'm going to be going to the airport and traveling to um, the center of, their, of our country, the beautiful state of Illinois. Yay. And my best friend drives me to the airport. We got a little bit of time, so we stop off at an illustrious eating establishment known as Burger King. Only royalty for us. And we're sitting there just shooting the breeze a little bit, and there's only one other person in the entire place. It's a teenager, and he's sitting, like, across from us, but two booths that way so I could see him. This guy walks in. And sits down a couple booths down. He's kind of clomping around with something. My friend Kelly and I just keep talking. The next thing I know, I see this guy get up and he walks over to the teenager. And he says, hey, you want to try to make some money? And I'm still talking to Kelly, but I'm kind of catching this thing out of the side of my eye. And he's going to run the shell game. You guys know the shell game, right? It's the oldest game in the world. And so he sits down across from this teenager and the guy's like, yeah, sure, okay, whatever. You know, played the part really well. And so, you know, he does it, and he lost every single time. But I knew where the ball was every single time. I'm like, what's wrong with this guy that he can't see where the ball is? I mean, it's pretty obvious. And so, yeah, Mike, Mike's, Mike knows where this story is going. And so I'm just sitting there, and, and i got to tell you, remember, I'm in my early 20s. All the brilliance and wisdom that's, that comes with that. All the streetwise knowledge. And so, sure enough, he walks up to our table and he says, Hey, you guys want to make some money? And we're both like, No, 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 no. He goes, I tell you what, we'll just do three for fun. And I'm like, Well, I know how this works. I I, I went five for five. I didn't tell him that, right? I'm not going to play my cards, right? So he gives us three free ones. Got it right every single time. I have $100 on me. <laughs> this story does not end that same way. I have $100 on me in 20s, and uh, my friend Kelly's looking at me across the table. He's like, doing this. 
I'm like, no, no, I got this. I got this. I won the first one. I'm up 20 bucks. So then I, I lost the second one. And I'm like, what? How did I lose that? That was really weird. I just must have been off. I must not have been paying attention enough. Needless to say, let's just cut to the chase. I lost all $100 in about a minute, 30 seconds. And the entire time, my friend Kelly is trying to kick me under the table he, and, and, and throw the, the napkin dispenser at my head. Maybe I was a little naive. We call it millennial wisdom. But I learned a lesson that day. You win some, you lose some. And the, the cherry on the Sunday was just so beautiful. It was just, it was just wonderful that the Lord let me experience this next part. Because I thought I was a real loser. I thought, what's wrong with me? But then I watched this guy walk out and give the teenager half the money. And then I didn't feel like a loser anymore. You're like, why didn't you feel like a loser? I'm like, because he's contributing to the youth of America. Right? I had to find a reason not to feel like a loser. No, obviously, I just got shammed, and it was incredibly embarrassing. Guess what I've never played since? Right? So I figure at this point, I'm up $5,382 in life. You know, there's things that happen in our, in, in our life, and we think we've got the strength. We think we've got it figured out, and we crash and we burn. And here we see Paul and Barnabas. They have walked. They have fled. They have run. We don't really know what kind of transport they used, but they got out of Antioch. And they go up into Iconium. And Iconium was a cosmopolitan Roman city. It's a big city. There would have been a... a very legitimate synagogue there. That's exactly where they go. We heard that in the passage. It's the first place they go and they start preaching this same message. Now you remember in Antioch what happened? That they had incredible success. Right? They had incredible success. Just like me sitting here watching this teenager you know, go through the paces. Now I'm going to use this really, really bad illustration and hopefully you understand the hyperbole in it that a lot of it doesn't really translate to what we're looking at this morning. But the point is to look at the problems of what happens when we try to proceed in our own strength and the foolishness of our own strength. And sometimes we're convinced we are so wise and that we've got the right answer. And so they had this great success. But think about it. When they're leaving, they're leaving under duress. This isn't the first time. So if you're Paul and Barnabas, how would you have left Antioch? You're walking up the road, you're heading up the highway, and you're having a great power meeting on the way. And do you determine what's happened in Antioch as a success? Did you win that one? Or because you got chased out of town and you couldn't finish the job, did you lose that one? In the modern church, so much of the time, we lose sight of the bigger picture of what God is doing. And it's all about the immediate moment. How good will today be? We will evaluate this church based off of how good this service is today. Right? Because the church, the American church, has trained themselves to operate that way. It's how good was the latest episode of CRI, right? 
And if it's not good, maybe I'm not going to watch next time. And so we kind of bring that consumerism into church. My encouragement this morning is we've got to look at the larger picture. And we've got to look at things through God's strength. Because I think a lot of us would have taken out our, our graphs and we would have said, unless that graph is going like this, we've got this other graph going like this. We didn't have a lot of success, right? We would have measured it that way there in Antioch. And we're going to say, when we go to Iconium, we're going to make these adjustments. We're going to tweak it a little bit so that we don't have that same problem. Because if we had just been able to stay there, what, what could have happened? We could have won over the whole town, right? We could have won over the whole town. That's not what they did. They did the same exact thing. And that's the first point this morning. And if you're taking any notes, you can, you can mark these up in your in your sermon notes, in your bulletin. It's strength in consistency. Not only have we seen this in Cyprus, we've seen it now in Antioch, and we're going to see it, and we just saw it in Iconium. Folks, get ready because it's a continuation over and over and over with Paul and Barnabas. And I think sometimes if you were to take this this passage of Scripture and put it into modern church situation, I can guarantee you that what the church has done when they have faced resistance, many churches have changed their message. That's the second point today. Strength in message. But let's, let's just cover the strength and consistency. Paul and Barnabas never deviate from the mission, even though the mission seems to repeat the same results over and over. They were fine with it. They were fine with winning some and losing some. That does not compute in our world today. How are you fine with winning some and losing some? Because winning some is impossible. And to win one, to see God work at all, is a mark of his approval, is a mark of his um, will being worked out in the world around you. And then it's an understanding, an encapsulation that it's all in his hands. We're just the instrument. We're just the instrument. And so Paul and Barnabas just remain consistent. We would do an evaluation. We would do PowerPoint. We would use Salesforce. We would Google it. We'd run efficiency reports. Life requires us to live in and exercise God's strength if we're to stay on mission. Okay? Let me say it one more time. Life requires us to live in and exercise God's strength if we are to stay on mission. Because when you're doing the Lord's work, there will always be pushback. In all your relationships, in your personal heart, in your ministry life, there will always be pushback. And somehow we think if we just tweak things a different way or this way or the other way, it's fascinating. The church made a major adjustment with their message. And this is a nice little segue into point two. Back in the 20s when modernism came in, or actually postmodernism was coming in, it was the age of science coming out of the 19th century and Darwin and, and uh, Pascal and David Hume and, and uh, so many of these guys, Michael Faraday and, and, and others, right? And so what happens is Darwin kind of wins the day. 
and you start to see the eradication of people trusting in God. It's all about the pragmatic. It's all about the provable. Let's take the tangible over the intangible. And so the church started seeing declining numbers. The churches that decided to change their message because they were worried about that are the churches, I'm talking denominations, I won't name them, but they are the denominations that have never recovered. And they have building after building that have been sold off. They're at a third of the membership of what they used to be at the beginning of the 19th century because they changed the message, because they were too worried. They didn't walk in the strength of the Lord. They were too worried with the fallout. They were too worried with the tension. They couldn't just see the success in the ones that God was working in. But this is the message we see in Paul and Barnabas. Amen? So, that makes for a great story. Right? How are we going to apply that to life? Let's see. So, strength and message. We go from Cyprus to Antioch to Iconium. They have great success because of the powerful message of the gospel. How many of us have said to a friend, or we've said in an email or texting or, or a Bible study, I just don't feel confident that I know enough to share who Jesus is with someone. When you look at this message, can I encourage you? Don't try to get people to fall in love with you because you're going to fail them every time. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 9. And where people get disillusioned, and I've recently had conversations with three people, because what they do is they evaluate God through people, right? There's a surefire way to get disappointed. You ever had a car that had unbalanced tires? Right? This is a piece of junk. This thing shakes like, I don't know, it shakes like something. I don't have it this morning. Normally I would be able to just come up with something right there. It shakes like Palo Alto in the late 80s. Okay. A little, little late with that one. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. And so we toss away this incredible car because the wheels just needed balancing. Right? We judge the car, the whole car, off of these wheels that were out of balance. How many of us are out of balance <laughs> most of the time? Right? Wow, that was brilliant. That's not even in the notes. Holy Spirit's working this morning. But seriously, when we keep it about the message, the strength is in the message. The message gives us courage. Because when the, when the message is relied upon, what happens? It changes. I don't change you. Other people don't change you. It is the message through the power of the Holy Spirit that changes you. I got a couple. You can say right on. You can say, I believe in that. You can say great stuff. If you're like thinking amen is some mysterious language and you're new to it, don't, don't sweat it. We need to keep true the message and not deviate because it gets a little scary when you do. It gets a little scary when you do. The gospel <laughs> is offensive. This is one way that we've changed the message. 
So, I come from a land down under. Ha, 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 ha. Lenisa knows of what I speaketh. I come from a territory in the United States that embraces that statement. Some, some. Because they've been taught to say the gospel should be offensive. What do we mean by that? Well, look at what's happening with Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas are preaching the gospel. There's great response, but yet is it... <coughs> we were doing so well. I'm just kidding. It was an awkward moment. I had to do something. Um, you're all, this is going to be our number one message. You're all going to go back and look at this one. Somebody tell me what I was saying. Okay, so the gospel is offensive, yes. So is, do you see that in this story coming out of Antioch? Was there a group that was offended? Absolutely. Was there a group that was offended up in Iconium? Absolutely. And, and you're going to see it keep happening. So on one level, when we say that the gospel is offensive, that is true. Why do we get this statement? And why are certain denominations embracing this as a moniker, as a hallmark, and promoting it? And it's kind of their lead story. And I shouldn't say denominations. I should say individuals. I need to be fair about this. I don't like to beat up on churches. Um, but here's the problem is, is it, it's, 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 I get the point, and the point is a reactive point based off of our first endeavor here, that when you, when you change the message so it's not offensive, there's no more message. There's no more life-saving. It's a different Jesus. And so what are we, what are we taking people to? Take him to nothingness. What I'm more interested in is preaching the Word of God and that the power of the Gospel brings life. That's what we say here. But we also understand that the, the message of the Gospel does this. It causes an individual to wrestle with their own life. And Jesus Himself says in John 3 that men love darkness rather than light. And because of that, they run away from God or they become violent towards God. This is the secret, this is the opening as to why you see this happen over and over and over for Paul and Barnabas. And not just them, for us as the church. Can I encourage you that it took great strength and courage for Paul and Barnabas to do what they did. What did they do? Well, they stayed. Did you hear that in the passage? They stayed for a long time. They saw success. They saw, as, as Luke writes, that the Word was preached and God blessed the Word. And not only that, signs and wonders were performed to back up the power of the Word. And because of that, because of that message, many lives were changing. When something new comes along, it means you have to give up the old. And some people do not want to get rid of the old. So why do we have this problem? Why do we have this conflict? Is the gospel offensive? To some, to some it is. And the reason that you have people holding that statement is because for a long time the church has tried to change the message because they don't want it to be offensive. Let me share with you just real quickly 
Um, one of the hardest things that some churches, I'm told, have a problem speaking to is the doctrine of hell. Well, if you're going to preach about hell, nobody's going to come through the door. That's not very inspirational. Here's the challenge. I don't get to choose and pick what part of the scripture I like or I don't like. The reality is either I follow Jesus or I don't follow Jesus, or I follow a form of Jesus that I like. And I just kind of smorgasbord it, right? It's, as a matter of fact, it's kind of like my childhood in fourth grade, where we went to King's Table, which was a buffet every Sunday. It was beautiful. And you count on it, every Sunday I would head to the yellow jello. Always the yellow jello. And I would pass right over that green bean and cheese and mushroom casserole thing. See, in my mind, that represented hell. <laughs> and I was in denial of that. And, but the yellow jello was, right, streets of gold. And yet my parents said, you have to eat vegetables. You have to. Because you've got to have balance. And so... Again, another silly thing, but the reality is it's not a healthy message to say just because we're uncomfortable with the idea. The reality is Jesus came to change what will happen for us eternally. What a cruel God that there is a hell and that because of sin, our souls are heading there and he creates no opportunity for that to ever be changed. But that's not the story or the message of the gospel. As a matter of fact, this message is so powerful that what actually happened is God took his son and inserted him under the pressure, under the torture, under the weight of the cross so that you and I can have that freedom. I don't see it as a, as a wicked God or a mean, unjust God. I see a God who says there is penalty and then there is reward. And you can't get from penalty to reward on your own, so I'm going to create a way. I see that as loving. But it's all in how we translate that, right? Because for years, the church used to talk about hell and damnation. We were really big on, you know, causing fear. You know, here's the interesting thing, is that most of these people chasing Paul and Barnabas out of town, both in Antioch and Iconium, and soon to be Lystra, they fear. What's happening is causing fear in their life. They're going to lose control. And really, that's what it comes down to in our own lives, in our pursuit of Christ. And being strong and courageous. Are we willing to trust in that message? Are we willing to be courageous enough to trust in that message and turn over everything and say, your will, not my will? Now, what do you do with these two guys? Kind of have an up-and-down result, right? Their chart graph, you know, according to the IMF, would not, wouldn't work out real well. I don't know if anybody would hire them for their second trip. They keep getting the same results. I, I could hear missions agencies now send emails to them and say, guys, you've got to tone it down. We're getting reports, and you really need to save yourselves. So here's the challenge, last point, strength and retreat. 
How would these new believers evaluate Paul and Barnabas in context to their message about Jesus who went to the cross out of love, and yet they retreat and leave them? You see, they stayed. They stayed for a while. God worked with them. They gave the message. They were strong in the message, but they left. This is the second time they've left when chased out of town. Hmm had an interesting conversation with my children after studying this this past week. I said, so, you know, if you guys were in a, in a really uh, challenging situation in life, let's say at work, it was just really hard. I said, what do you think your parents would tell you to do? Stick it out, no matter what, or maybe look for something that's easier. And one of my children said, absolutely, you would force us to stick it out, no matter what. Right? We might need some counseling here. And so I thought about it. I'm like, yeah, that kind of is our MO. We have this moniker in our family, cooks don't quit. It's the only reason I'm up here this morning is Janine would be reading me the whole family creed when I got home. I'm just kidding. But sometimes we get so disillusioned with that that this would not fit. Paul and Barnabas leaving would not fit. Because you're talking about those that are giving a message about Jesus who never left, right? He went to the cross. He took the sorrows of man upon him. He suffered. He died. And yet when we're under the scrutiny of possible death, we're out of here. <laughs> wow, you want to talk about losing credibility with your message. But they left. So what do we do with that? Let me ask this question. Is success measured in just an upward graph? In, in our world, I think we're trained to believe that. I think in God's economy, whenever you stand out to do something strong and courageous in his will, there is going to be blowback. There's going to be discomfort, my friends. There are going to be hard results. And this is where part of that being strong and courageous requires that we trust in his plan, not ours. What we don't have written down is why they left. Because we see over and over in certain areas, we've already seen it in Damascus when, when Paul initially became a believer and he was in Damascus and he was preaching and he had disciples already. And what happened? The Jews there wanted to kill him. And he didn't want to leave. But what did they do? They lowered him over the wall in a basket in the middle of the night. That's where it all started for Paul. You know, you would think that guy wouldn't have a public speaking ministry based off of the results. But he had an incredible public speaking ministry. God used him tremendously. But there is the problem, is that when God uses us according to his will, that requires strength and confidence in him, not ourselves, in him, and then these fuzzy questions, do I move forward? Do I retreat? Lord, what's the right answer? This is where we get practical. Our world of challenge and mitigated success. Let me challenge you with this thought. Success as a child of God is to daily live in the inspirational strength, grace, and faith of Jesus Christ. God's view of success may require pain, but he will provide in the midst of that pain. 
So when we look at our world of challenge and mitigated success and whatever God's will is for you and his plan and where he has you, let me ask these questions. Sometimes it takes greater strength to be still or even to retreat. I cannot tell you in ministry how many times, sorry, it's just water. I already had my Starbucks. Sometimes in ministry, I have well-meaning people that love the Lord desperately. Some ministry opportunity or some crisis comes up, and they just want to jump on it as fast as possible, and they really may be led to do that. But that may not be what God's asking us to be part of. God may have another answer over here. If we jump in the way, we may be circumventing what God's plan was for that ministry and what God was going to use or who God was going to use. And yet what happens is in the midst of those things, there becomes this huge criticism of lack of, of leadership or credibility with leadership or we have weak leadership. In your own lives, whether it's your relationships, some of us have experienced challenges in marriages. Some of us have friends that have gone through very, very difficult and challenging things. Not too long ago, in certain denominations in the church, if a woman was being beat by her husband, the church would inform her, you have to stay there. You have to stay there. You just need to be strong. And then they find her dead. Or they find the children dead. Folks, that's not God. That is misguided. I want to use the word wisdom, but it's not wisdom. It is what it is. You insert your own word. So what do you do in a moment like that? Sometimes you have to be still. Sometimes... <laughs> You have to have the strength to retreat. Sometimes in situations at work, you may be aware of something that's happening that has a lack of integrity. And the Lord just keeps putting it on your head and you have to make some decisions. Am I going to be part of this? Or am I going to speak up about it? Or am I going to just walk away from it? Huge challenges, right? What do you do in that? My wife and I were at a ministry. I'll finish up here. My wife and I were at a ministry one time that um, great, <coughs> great <coughs> ministry, but this was about the time that I played the shell game, so it'll explain a lot of my perspectives. It was my first gig as a part-time youth pastor. It's a small church in Santa Clarita, and um, there were just some things that, that were falling apart but I was too naive to understand them. And I was too removed to know what was really going on. And the end result is there were things that were happening because the pastor was having a nervous breakdown, unbeknownst to everybody. And yet I'm just seeing the results. I'm seeing how it brushes into my family, into Janine and I and, and those things. And this is six months in. And so I sought wisdom, and I prayed, and I prayed, and God didn't give me the release. So I said, God, you've got to give me the strength to stay here. And he did. 
And so then I sought other wisdom in every single person based off of the multiple challenges that were happening there that were major breaches in integrity. Everybody said, you need to leave. You need to get out of there. Except one man that I highly respect. He said, you leave, what's going to happen? And has God not given you everything you need in order to be his voice in the midst of what's going on? The Lord held us there for another two and a half years. Two and a half years. Only through the strength. But the Lord made it apparent when it was time for us to go. Was it hard for my students? Was it hard for the church? Was it hard for us? Yes. And we needed strength to be able to say those words. But God rewarded in the midst of it. And I can very much relate to Paul and Barnabas as they had to say goodbye to the believers at Iconium and leave to the next thing that God had for them. Folks, it's not always clear cut. It's not always clear cut, but let me leave you with this thought. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And this is fairly well into Paul's ministry. What we're reading about has already happened. It's already happened multiple times. He's already been jailed multiple times. He's already been beaten multiple times. And there's been multiple times that he's had to retreat. And by the way, we'll answer that question about credibility with the church at Iconium and Antioch and Lystra next week because the story isn't over. The reality is they moved on. And they moved on because God asked them to move on. Maybe that moving on had everything to do with that church surviving. That God needed to remove Paul and Barnabas for a time in order that that church could settle down and that there would be peace. It's very hard to see those things in the midst of our horizontal understanding. Today we are going to be announcing a lot of things at our annual meeting. And it's very, very exciting, the things that are coming up. But there's some challenging things, too, that we need to communicate with you. And as we look at those things, they bring some tension. There's some parts of this that we wish didn't exist. But we have to move in the strength of the Lord. We have to move in the strength of the Lord. So this is what Paul says. How do you do this? And so in verse 7, he says, and I'm just going to read 7 through 12, and then we'll go to 16 through 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down with the flu, but still walk. No, it doesn't say that. Struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live (coughs) are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. What a beautiful statement at the very end. We are willing to go to the point of death being worked out in us so that you might live. That was the plan. Through and through. And we see it over and over and over as we start walking with Paul and Barnabas and then others through this journey 
through Asia Minor, you're going to see all these things that Paul reflects on here. So how do you deal with it? Where do you get the strength and how do you apply it? Go down to verse 16. He says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self (coughs) is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. In your job, in your family, in your marriages, in your own understanding of yourself. Is it time to move forward? Is it time to sit still? Is it time to take a step back? These are the questions we have to ask ourselves, but under a very simple filter. See, asking those questions, we get really nowhere with God's help if we stop there. But what Paul now says helps you understand how to ask those questions with power and with strength. Because he says this. So, so how is it that... Uh, <laughs> How is it that he sees all of that persecution as light and momentary affliction? For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, or some of you have the word temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There is your secret when it comes to understanding how to win some and how to lose some. You know, when I started this morning and I started with that statement, we probably saw the lose some as a negative. They're not necessarily a negative. Only when you play the shell game. And I say that jokingly, but I'm going to give you a final statement that I learned from that moment. Pick your moments. Pick with prayer and pick with preparedness. And then you'll know how to be strong and courageous and what God has for you. Whether you're supposed to be winning some, losing some, or a little bit of both. It's all about His will and His plan for you. And check in next week when you see what happens as a result of all of this. I pray that you're encouraged and inspired this morning. This is not necessarily a a message that gives us something to go do immediately. I think it's more of a message for me that makes me stop and slow down a little bit and kind of contemplate how do I make choices? Why is it I'm thinking what I'm thinking about things? So I just encourage you this morning. And uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to call the band up. We're going to have some great worship this morning. Um, Looking forward to... uh, to what God's going to bring through that. So let me pray and the band come up. Father, this morning as we look at the lives of Paul and Barnabas and the strength of their choices, they are mysterious. They're enigmatic. Father, we would often think that we're just supposed to plow through, plow through, plow through. And yet sometimes you, in your design, in your plan, You are asking us to remove ourselves from a situation on occasion, even if it's interpreted poorly. Because overall, you have a plan. Let us know how to find that plan and live in light of it so that, Father, your will will be done, you will be glorified, and lives will see the gospel as a life-giving, 
message, not an offensive message. Thank you, Lord. Amen.